I'm Dr. Finkelstein, and now it's time for the Negative World Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Negative World Podcast, a podcast about video games by the Nintendo fans at negativeworld.org. This is episode 45, and we are recording this on Wednesday, March 13th, 2013. I'm your host, Stephen, or as I'm known on the boards, Dr. Frankenstein. With me today is my most excellent co-host. This is Joe, and on the boards, some people call me Ninsage. <laughs> yeah, some people. Uh, and joining us also is the Negative World creator. Oh, I am Zero, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Andrew. And I have just gotten back from the dentist, so my voice is even more weird than usual. Your dentist's name isn't Crentist, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wonder who will get that. Um, I did. Good. Pin and Eminem, anyone? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, it's the three of us today, and in a little bit, we're going to be joined by indie developer Craig Stern, who is currently working on a slick new strategy RPG for the PC. And uh, we'll ask him about his game, his connection with Nintendo, what it's like making indie games, and we'll just have a little bit of a chat with the guy. So that said, how we get into our, uh, you know, what we're, what we've been playing, what we are playing, what the hell's wrong with me, what we're playing. <laughs> uh, let's jump in. So Andrew, uh, you've got quite a game that I know I've been playing a lot too, but uh, but I'll let you do the lead on this. Um, it's a little known sequel to kind of a popular game on the Nintendo, something like that, right? Yes, I have been playing Bit Trip Presents Runner 2 Legend of Future Alien. I okay. think Future Legend. Oh, I don't even know what it's called, man. It's got I, a weird title. Future Legend of Rhythm Alien. Yes, yes. Yes. So. And, and you're right, the Presents is in there too, I believe. So Bit Trip yeah. Presents Runner 2 Future Legend of Rhythm Alien. It's a purposefully confusing title, so. It's a very confusing title. Yeah. I thought it was, um, I read somewhere that it was referencing all the old, like, uh, the old naming conventions of, like, Nintendo games and stuff back in Japan in, like, the 80s and stuff. Just, in J- it reminds me of the way game, games are named in Japan. Like, in general, yeah, it's just kind of a mocking that whole, Where it's like, like extra a long, sentence. yeah. Yeah. But not even a complete sentence, just like fragmented <laughs> sentences. Right. Yeah. So I've been playing, I've been playing Runner 2 and, you guys probably know I wrote the Negative World review for the first Bit Trip Runner, and I love that game, and I praised it a lot in the review. So leading up to this one, I was excited, but I didn't really know what to expect. I had been wa- not watching too much of the media leading up to it. Um, I had the graphical style. Honestly, I wasn't sure if I liked it, you know, when they, we first saw it in some of the videos. I was, I was quite turned off, frankly, at first. Me too. Yeah, it was it, something about it didn't really click with me in the videos. And so the game was coming out and that was going multi-platform. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But I was wondering, here's the small developer who's been making all these, you know, games focusing on one platform. And now they're they're making like four, I think it came out on four different platforms so is that going to affect the quality or something? You know what I mean? But I started playing and I love it. It's 
a better game. I still don't know if the graphics have totally um, clicked with me. Like, there's still something about them that makes me miss the more, like, pixel-type graphics of the old game. That was, like, the whole vibe of the first series of games, was that they were done in that style. Like, that style became so synonymous with that series that it seemed like an interesting decision to to change it for the for you know an HD game. I mean the, it looks good. The game looks good. It just doesn't it just feels like it's not really the the bit trip style. Although looking back though, I, I was watching some videos of the first one recently and it, you know, it was more 3D than you really give it credit. Like, you look at it and you were seeing pixels and everything because that was the whole aesthetic. But, I mean, the levels were still just as 3D as they are now. I mean, there are some more lev- layering and such. But, uh, but I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like it was a flat thing. Bitri- or, uh, Commander Video himself was flat. Uh, and that was one of the biggest challenges for me to kind of get over aesthetically was, was like, him being 3D and all that. But, uh, but I mean, it wasn't... It's, I don't think it's as big of a leap as it really seems, but, I mean, that whole pixel aesthetic is kind of out the window at this point. It's not the depth that is as big a change for me as there's a certain softness to the new look that oh, absolutely. I think wasn't there. Um, it's like one of those glamour I, filters you find on phone apps and stuff. Sure, sure. Like soap opera, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I I think I, I I do like it though. It's it's gotten it's grown on me a little bit, but I think there's probably a different style I might have liked more. But that's like that aside. The music is amazing once again. It has really awesome music and it really flows with the gameplay. And it's basically just the first game, only a lot more. Like I didn't know what to expect, but it has. It has the uh, the leaderboards. You know, that's a huge thing. You could play against your friends and, and compare scores on every stage. Yeah, a little faulty, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it wasn't there before, and it makes a big difference now. Yeah, there, there's flaws with the leaderboards. I mean, I'll, I'll get to the flaws in a bit, but there's the leaderboards. There's way more stages. There's something like a hundred over 100 stages now. Mm-hmm. There are um, multiple exits on certain stages, so the map is laid out. I don't want to say like Mario 3, but you know, where you have different, you see a map where you pick stages and some of them, like if you take a different exit, you get to a different stage. And, I think that's um, one of my favorite additions to the level design aspect and all that is the alternate, just, I'm not even alternate exits, but also there's just harder sections and you can choose to go to a harder one or an easier one, which changes your points value and all that. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's, um, Unlock, there's a ton of unlockables, so there's a bunch of different characters you could play as besides Commander Video and different outfits you could find for all these people. Uh, there's, let me, there's, um, now my brain's freezing up a bit here. Oh yeah, there's different difficulty levels. And that to me is a pretty big thing because there's a lot of people, and, and this, this didn't bother me, but a lot of people complained about the first game being way too hard and how even one of the hardest stages was in the first world. I think it was 111. Yeah. It was just unbalanced. Yeah. So now it's like you're not going to get stuck. If you if you get stuck on any given stage, you could set it to easy. Or if you're just not the kind of person who, who actually gets too much into a, that challenge level to begin with, you could play on easy the whole time. And then if you choose to go with hard or whatever, but you can also go with checkpoints now. So you can do it in almost like half level spurts. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
They're optional, though. You can jump over them for points, or you can run through it, and then at that point, you continue to start at the halfway that's a, point. That's a really neat little twist. Yeah. I like that, that there's a reward for skipping it, but that it's there if you right. don't care about points. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, and going through it lately, um, partially because of that leaderboard glitch, I've stopped kind of going for high scores or trying to go back and beat beat other friends of mine and stuff, so... Now I don't really care so much. I just kind of want to progress and see each level and everything. So I have been kind of just running through the checker uh, or the um, the uh, checkpoints, and you know it is it is nice, especially when you're kind of working on a section at the very end. You don't have to do the whole level over just to practice that last section. Yeah, it, it affects your the fun factor of the game. It, it raises it definitely to have that option there. That's true because I actually got stuck um, recently with. I was trying to get a high score on one of the stages and it was after the checkpoint and there's a part where you have to bounce off a little trampoline in a, like a me over a guy and immediately when you land you have to use the uh that the one you press up on that like shoots you up into the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I kept just clearing it, like totally clearing it. I had no idea how do I get and I thought I'd have to jump earlier on the trampoline, but that never seemed to work. I'd still clear the entire thing. And so I kept, I had done it like once or twice accidentally, but I, I was running through the whole stage over and over trying to get this down. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go to the checkpoint, get the checkpoint, practice this part, make sure I know what I'm doing before I run through this whole stage one more time. Because I just did it like 15 times in a row and mm. messed up that part. So that's what I did. And I found out that oddly enough, it's not it's not getting earlier on the trampoline. It's hitting the trampoline in the middle bounces you to the correct point. Mm. So I was either hitting it too early or too late. Even that um the idea of being able to hit the trampoline early, later in a sweet spot, that's totally new in and of itself, right? Because from what I remember of the first game, it was a very uh static kind of thing. Either you hit it or you didn't. It, static's not the right word. Binary. It mostly is kind of that way still, I think, but I have noticed too that you can be slightly early and slightly late on those things. Okay. Um, there was one moment where I was, maybe it was the same moment, I don't know, it was something similar to that where I had to jump on uh, on a little trampoline so that I could jump on the launch target or whatever, and if I jumped, uh, well... Yeah, well, no, I think it was how how long I held the A button for my jump. Just, just it was so subtle. Oh, that yeah. If I landed at the end of the target, it would just let me run past. But holding it just slightly less allowed me to center myself on on that thing because you had no matter what you have to land on that because the way the level's designed. So um, yeah, that was definitely present in the first game. It was okay. You know, timing how long you yeah. hold your jump and yeah, you had to be very precise in some spots. Yeah. And, um, then one, another thing they added, which I didn't really like it first in theory, but now it's really growing on me, is they add a dance move that you could just throw in anywhere to get extra points. <laughs> and I think this is huge because otherwise leaderboards would be kind of boring. It's, it's not that hard to get a perfect on some of these stages. So everyone would just have perfect and, you know, the leaderboard would just be, Oh, here's 10 people who got a perfect score. But now it, you you squeeze this dance in, and there's some points where you have to be, like, pixel perfect to squeeze it in. So it's, like, it's almost... I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's almost impossible to get the absolute perfect score on some of these stages now. So now there's real competition in the leaderboards. It's not just going to be a to bunch me, of people maxing it. To me, that's, you know... The dancing thing is pros and cons. I liked it at first, and now I like it less, so I'm having the opposite reaction to you. Just because, you know, I don't want to, like, spend my entire time trying to mash that button as much as possible, especially in the start of a level, or even though the point value for per dance is less. But uh, 
like it distracts me and I know again that's part of the challenge I suppose but it distracts me from the actual level when I'm sitting there trying to dance or looking for dance opportunities and sometimes you know I feel pretty good when I do sneak in a couple like wow how did I fit that there or whatever but um, and then another thing too the dances are not all the same length there's multiple dances per character and those dances can be either short or long depending on just the randomness that you choose which is again both good and bad it, it it forces the risk-reward on you regardless. You can't ever just know, okay, I can fit in five before the first enemy of this level. Because sometimes you only fit in four, sometimes you fit in six. And that's how I know that that these dances are a little bit shorter or longer. And I've, I've seen it in the in the animations, too. I think everyone has, like, at least a one long animation. Um, they, 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 seem, they seem pretty similar to me. I've gotten a lot of stages to the point where I, I know exactly how many I'm going to be able to fit in in, like, every little area. The only the only thing is I think you can actually spam it pretty well. Like you if you hit the button before the animation is done, it's he won't start dancing again. So the difference between getting 5 and 6 in really is just how is the timing. Spam the button just at the right time cuz I don't that's it. I don't I don't wait for him to, to get done. I just jam it, you oh, know, yeah. like I spam it. But I think if you're spamming it at the exact right moment versus like a millisecond off or whatever, that, that changes how many you're going to be able to fit in. So you're calling me a liar? Yes. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm doing. I, I Maybe I'm lying my ass off. I think you're wrong, but I don't think you're lying. Like you could be correct, but unless... I'm like a young I, scientist figuring out the world is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. What's going Basically. on? <laughs> Nothing at all. Um, before, uh, before we move on, I do want to talk... About well, this is maybe spoilerific, but uh, I, I haven't unlocked everybody yet. I'm in World Four right now, and um, and so I haven't unlocked every hidden character. But I want to mention my favorite character so far. And uh, so again, like fast forward maybe a minute or two. But uh, this Reverse Merman, yeah, is freaking bizarre. He's got his, his, his balls hanging, and cool. yeah, he kind of flops around. And uh, I mean, I like the concept. It's kind of hilarious, but. Um, his ball sack is kind of disturbing at the same time. I, it just has to be said. I didn't notice a ball sack, but I'll take your word for it. Really? I, I really didn't notice it. I've been I've used him a fair amount. Okay, I don't just see ball sacks in my day and day <laughs> life. So, uh, <laughs> are you seeing them now, Stephen? <laughs> All over my room. What the hell? Where am I? I have um, noticed that they they and. The, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, like, oh, this is allowed on a Nintendo console. I mean, like, No More Heroes was on a Nintendo console, and that has a bunch of, like, overtly, like, sexual stuff. But I've noticed a lot of the stage names are kind of sexual, like, in a oh, group yeah. play. Like, one of them was called Morning Wood, and I was like, okay, Morning Wood, that's, that's very sexual. No, it was, like, Into the Deep. Like, yeah. Into the Deep, or the Wet Deep, or something like that, things like that. Yeah. They are very suggestive. Someone was having fun with the naming there. Uh, I did like him, and I like the one that you get in World 4. And since the merman comes up kind of early, I'll, whatever. I mean, you, you see these characters at their check, or at the checkpoint of the level in the world they're in anyway. So, you know, the, you know, the very first level you play, you find out what the s- secret character is. But This whole character is like a Freudian uh, <laughs> experiment in phallic symbols. <laughs> he probably sleeps with his mother, too. Yep. Um, anyway... Yeah, any any other uh, thoughts you want to add? Well, just to, I mean, I really like it. It's it's a better game. It's a bigger game. There's there's a bunch more just new stuff you're doing. I'm not going to list everything. You're going to have to go play for yourself, but it's more than the the old game had a couple basic moves and that was it. And now you're doing a bunch of moves and there's even these like little like 
loop-de-loop type things you go in that you can't really die on, but you have to do certain things at the right time. Then on there's those. the square version of that, and then there's the rails. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's funny because the game is an on rails platformer, and then now they actually bring rails into the <laughs> into the mix. Yeah, there are some negatives though. Like um, the the leaderboard has a a huge bug which they're working on, but we don't know when it's going to be fixed. Which is that if you play a stage and you do worse on score than your old high score, it overwrites your old high score for the leaderboards. So your score actually goes down to your new score. <laughs> so that they'll, way... They'll fix that. Yeah, Eventually, though. Yeah, but it, it kills the spirit of, like, competing right now, because if How? you're trying to actually unlock the game... I you know, cannot believe that that slipped out. That, though, I haven't heard people complaining on other platforms, so I don't know if it's a Nintendo-only thing, but yeah, it still sucks. Yeah, there's that, and there's... This is more like a design thing, and this isn't going to change, but it kind of bothers me, is that the easy, medium, and hard difficulties all share the same leaderboard. And usually you'd say, well, you're going to get the highest scores with hard regardless, but you might get a higher score on medium if you're doing more dancing or something. So it's hard to know for sure which difficulty level to pick to get the high score. I think in most cases it's going to be hard, so I've just been sticking to hard. But you don't really know, and that kind of bothers me. And then one more thing that bothers me is at the end of each stage, when you've got a perfect, there's this little cannon that you jump into and it like goes up and down and you have to shoot at just the right moment to get a bullseye. If you miss that bullseye, you just, you just ruined your high score. So you have to hit this bullseye that has like nothing to do with the rest of the game, really, if you want to get a high score for that level. And some of these levels, it takes me like, a half hour to like get a good score and dance everywhere I want to and everything just to get to the end and miss the bullseye. And, I like, I, I don't you like tense up and like really like focus and then you're over focusing and then. Yeah. And like yeah. once I sometimes, once sometimes I'll press it and like even before I wait for the animation, I'm like, why did I just press it? I know that's the wrong time. Right. <laughs> what so that's because your, your body goes subconsciously just into its own thing. I, I've done that so many times too. Yeah. So or like even before you've seen the the animation finish, you know you've screwed up. Yeah. You can just sense it. So these these are complaints, but they're not they're not one of them's gonna be fixed for sure and the others don't get in the way of what's otherwise a great game, so Okay. That, oh, and one thing I should mention, just just for people interested, is the the sort of retro hidden stages are back as well. And in in the old game, I think once you finish the stage on perfect, you automatically went into the, re- the retro stage. Right. But now it's like you just find them hidden, so you have to find this little gold cartridge and jump into it, and then you'll be sent to the retro stage. The only thing I don't like about that is if you're getting a pretty decent score and then you see the cartridge, once you jump into the cartridge, you just pull out of the level. So it's kind of like you just gave up on everything you had done up to that point just to go into this retro stage, which is totally separate score-wise than than the main stage. Yeah, for that, I would just recommend just play it. And if you see one, just remember it and go back in later. Because if you go into the level and hit that retro stage box... After you've got a really awesome score, it won't erase, it won't like take the score you had up to that point and apply it to your leaderboards. It just warps you to it. And then after that, you can go into the retro stage from the map, so you never have to do that again. Yeah. And the retro stages are cool. They're kind of like NES style this time around, so it's fun. Yeah. And I think they're more fun in general. Yeah. Uh, They're just better designed, I think. So. Yep. All right. Well, Joe doesn't really have anything to talk about gaming-wise. He's been playing the same stuff that we've been talking about for the past couple podcasts. So what Welcome I'm going to do, I'll mention something new I'm playing, and then uh, 
Joe's going to mention something else that is more of a future now I'm playing. Um, so really quick, uh, I've been playing Star Fox 64 3D, and I know I'm a little late to the game on that. Uh, I've never played Star Fox 64 anyway, so I'm really late to the game on that. But I've heard from a billion people that it was fun, and my girlfriend even told me it was fun. And I really like the Pilot Wings resort-type flying and the Wii Sports resort flying, so I figured, you know what, this this game I might enjoy. And uh, and I do. It's it's a pretty cool game. I mean, have you guys played it? I've played the original. I, I, don't, I haven't played the 3D one. Same. Um, okay. So I would like to get the 3D one though. I so many times I've been like this close to pulling the trigger on it, and I just haven't. So well, someday. The one thing I, I want to mention about the 3DS specific one is that the 3D is cool, but you know how you, you just naturally move your hands a little bit when you're playing. I mean that's apparent with pretty much any 3DS game, it, it, unless you're like kind of grounded, maybe laying on your bed or the floor or something, and, and your arms are kind of locked in position. But this game, I find myself just accidentally tilting a little bit, and then my whole the whole thing gets out of whack, and I'm not even sure like what direction I have to go to fix it, because there's so much action going on the screen all the time. And so that's been kind of a, a buzz killer for the 3D effect, but it's also a game where I don't really want to play without it. I feel like the, the 3D effect really does help my, my game playing. That is one of the reasons why I really wanted to pick it up, is because I feel like that would be a game that in 3D would just be so much more visually appealing. Yeah, and it definitely is nice. I mean, it wasn't that I was turned off from the the visual aspect of it back in the day. It's just Star Fox was just never on my radar. But, uh, you know, it, it is a nice little package visually. The 3D effect can throw you off, I think, a little bit with with some of the, like when some large objects and certain levels go into the foreground, whether you're passing under them, over them, or like, and plus you're kind of stuck to a bounding box, which you guys probably know from playing the original that you can't just infinitely go up, or mm-hmm. so you're kind of stuck in a in a tunnel. And sometimes I've thought I could go over something because you know it's 3D and it looks like I can just fly over, but nope, that's the top, so you know, <laughs> smash. And uh, that's that's frustrating, but. Overall, it's pretty cool. It was uh, it was worth the twenty something. I think I got it for like twenty seven bucks or something. Now, have you gone through like all the different stages? Because there's a lot. Of, I mean, that's a game where it's kind of dynamic on which stage you're going to go to next, based on if you do certain things within the stage. Right. I my first run, I didn't look anything up, so I just did everything naturally, and I naturally went on the easy path, and uh, which was you know from the map perspective you just kind of go along the bottom right and so i did that that seems to be like the basic path and then i looked it up and i saw how i can do other things so i started working towards getting getting those and i have done some of the normal and harder levels and i don't have it in front of me so i can't like list off the names exactly and i don't know them that well yet i haven't had the game very long but uh, but i have maybe done half the levels of the overall, every single level, like half of those I've, I've accomplished. And, um, you know, the very first one, it is pretty cool. The first level, you're going over land and water and under arches and through some sort of city a- aspect. And uh, when I found out that, you know, saving Falco and flying under the arches could get me a whole separate path, like, that was pretty cool. And now I kind of prefer that path because I like what you got to do at the end and everything. And um, and that, that, too, saving Falco, that was an interesting... That's one thing I give this game kind of credit for, is this idea that you have these three teammates, although they're kind of stupid, but <laughs> you have these three teammates, and how well they do in each level determines if they join you for the next mission. And if they if they get shot down, then they have to take a level before they can recoup. 
And not that they benefit you that much anyway, but it is pretty neat that there, it feels like there is a risk involved. Like, I mean, I accidentally shoot them probably more often than I should, and <laughs> uh, they get pissed, but I also kind of do feel bad because I'm affecting their own ability to, to join me in the future. And uh, But I, that was pretty cool. I don't think you see that as much in uh, in other games. Like, imagine if you were playing Mario Brothers, the multiplayer Mario, and like, Jumping on Luigi instead of just bouncing, it actually knocks him down to a rec- you know small Luigi or whatever. Mm. Um, it'd be maybe frustrating, but the the idea is pretty cool. Yeah, and it it does come into I think play and I forget, but some of the the later stages you need a certain person in, at a certain point, so you either have to keep them alive the whole game or you have to let them die at a point where they not die, but leave at a point where they'll come back by the time you need right. them. Which might be a stra- strategic way to, to do it if maybe you're not very good at protecting them in the level before you need them kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the the two main things I wanted to talk about, I guess, were some negatives. I just want to say blanketly that the game is, is pretty fun. Uh, having it handheld is kind of cool because it is kind of bite-sized. I can do a level and then kind of put, put it down for a minute or something. But... There's two things that I just wish were changed for the 64 3DS version that probably were the same way um, in the original. But one is just how game saves work. So, like, you have to play it all the way through, technically. I I think you can, in the 3DS one, because it gives you an option of 3DS mode or N64 mode. And frankly, I don't know the difference. I mean, I probably could look it up. But uh, I've been playing in N64 mode, and I think you just kind of progress your way through. And if you turn off the system... It might save your last level, but if you die X amount of times, if you lose all your lives in a particular level, then you just go back to the start, which I think is kind of like an archaic way to enhance challenge. Uh-huh. I would have just preferred to be able to freely move back, like unlock it, and then just be able to move back and forth if I wanted to, Or um, which I guess there is a score attack type experience going on here, where the amount of hits and kills you get in each level adds up, and then you can have a high score I would have preferred, if I was, say, the developer of this game, I would have probably taken that out for the more free roaming-based ability to just choose levels as you see fit. Because sometimes I want to go back and play a level, but I'd have to start a new game. And even if I chose a guest account, I'd have to at least work my way through the levels to get to that level again, which is kind of unfortunate. Or you could just do score attack by level, you know, and then you could have, like, an overall game score or something. But do you know what I mean? Kind of the way... Sorry. No. Kind of the way BitTrip Runner is doing it, where like each level you get a unique score. Right. Like that's your high score for that level. And then you have like an overall score for the, you know, every level you've played or something. Right. That Instead way of... it doesn't have to be, that way you could go back to any level whenever you want. And it's not like cheating because you're only going to get that, that level a little better. Right. So instead of locking you into a single run score, overall score, they would just be the overall score of, you know, just what the game adds up to be. So that would be appreciated, and it's kind of a shame that it doesn't exist. Um, the other thing that kind of bothers me is just the land and water levels. They just kind of suck. I'm going to disagree. The water level does kind of suck. Okay, that, my first the experience with that was last night. Awesome. The tank one, you know, well, I think first more... First off, you've only done one of the tank ones? Okay, yes. You've done the <laughs> desert, I'm assuming? Yes. And because the second tank one is the best... Okay, team. so I could be persuaded otherwise. And actually, with more time, I probably would like the tank one. It, it's just, you know, it controls differently and, and obviously not as freely as the, the airplane. But um, the water one, though, that I actually found that level to be pretty easy considering it's in the hard track. But 
it just is it's sluggish. It's like what if we f- you know gave you slow frame rates in this game? <laughs> and here here's what that would be like and now you have to fight, you know, all these enemies just like that. I mean, you was get that, unlimited Was that even games. in the N64 version cuz I don't remember that. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's the the one where it's Slippy's submarine and you're underwater. Okay. Yeah, um, totally forgot. You know, the boss of that level was actually like super easy. I was kind of surprised by that. You just kind of spam your weapon and it's not very hard to dodge dodge things, but I don't know. Yeah, I I mean the wa- the water level is the weak point. Is that the I only think. water level? Yeah, that's the Thank only one. God, okay. But there's two tank levels. I like both tank levels, but the second one I think is one of the best in the game, actually. But that's my opinion. Okay, so. well I'll I'll leave the verdict out on the on the land master level levels because one, it's a pretty cool final smash in Smash Brothers, <laughs> and yep. two. I admit that for the first couple times on the on the land master level, I, I guess I didn't see it the directions clearly enough because I was hitting R or L and only like tilting one of my boosters. So I was like, "What the hell's happening? This is stupid!" Like my ship's broke. I thought I like broke my right wing, and that's why I couldn't you know use that that blaster or that uh, thruster, I should say. And then I realized, oh, you press them both at the same time, then you can hover. Okay, that makes sense. So I was kind of being a dunce there, but. Yeah, you have to roll and hover a bunch in those levels. But. Yeah, and I mean, and still, so there's just a lot to like fall into and stuff like that. So I guess I just don't like being restricted. But then again, I'm I'm such a newbie with this series that I mean, literally before this, the only experience with Star Fox I actually had was Smash Brothers and Star Fox Adventures. So, well, this is the first one that had a tank. The first Star Fox was all flying. All right, flying just missions. Mode Seven flying. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, uh, it'd be cool to go back and play that. I mean, that's. That's I hard think, to go back to. <laughs> is it really? I I, I it, figured it would be, but from just what I've seen, I don't even like to look at it. <laughs> I still think it's good, but it, it's hard to judge where things are. Maybe if that was done in 3D, it might be easier, but it's just really hard to judge where things are. Everything kind of blurs together in some Maybe that ways. could be a, another 3D classics, which those have kind of subsided, haven't they? They haven't released yeah. the new one of those in a long time. Uh, what was the last one, Kirby? Maybe. I don't know. There's Kirby, Kid Icarus, uh, like Twin B, I think was one or something. I freaking loved the Kid Icarus one, so I would like mm. them to continue with that. But uh, but yeah, so that, I mean that's my experience with that game. And uh, again, I bought it mainly because my girlfriend kept talking about it for the past like six months, and and uh, and I was gonna get it with my. I mean, you might have remembered me talking on the podcast about I got my 3ds XL. I'm gonna get Luigi's Mansion. I was gonna get Star Fox for free with that. But then I was looking at, the, I was comparing that to Professor Layton, and after you were talking about Layton, Joe, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I really should get that game. I, there's no reason not to. I like the previous two that I've played, and I was thinking of the two games, Layton would be better to have downloaded to the system because it's kind of like, again, just a puzzle game, bite size, mm-hmm. more so than Star Fox. So I was looking at the prices too, and it's more expensive than Star Fox 64 3D right now, uh, pretty much anywhere you go. So it's like, well, that's the better deal. So that's why I just put the bullet and got Star Fox finally. Well, plus Layton has all the download puzzles, which I think mm. when it's a cartridge, you might not put it back in just to do that. But if it's sitting on your system, that's true. I remember when uh, Cross DS had some downloadables, and I didn't realize it till like later. So I hadn't been playing the game for a little while, and I went back and I had to just keep popping it in to download things. Then I'd beat them, and then I'd take the game out. Then I had to bring them back in just to download the new ones before you know they were gone. So yeah, that, that's uh, a good point. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say. You guys have anything else you want to add? That is one of my favorite games of all time on the 64. 
Um, I really, I haven't actually played any of the ones since then, but I really would like a 64 type Star Fox, a brand new one though. You know what? And again, because I really like the whole flying mechanic and I'm, I'm getting better at aiming and shooting and stuff like that. So I think I would too. I, at this point, a brand new one, I think I, I could bite in. And two, I don't want to see another Star Fox Adventures. I, w- I would like to see that character, because I do generally like the character in the team, uh, just as, as Nintendo characters. I do enjoy them, so I'd like to see them utilized appropriately. Yep. So, uh, anyway, that's all i got to say about that. So, Joe, you want to mention something? Yeah. Um, we recently saw the mini Nintendo Direct. Where Chotto. They, uh, Nintendo Direct. Yes, Chotto. <laughs> um, where they talked about the new Flipnote... 3D Studio Studio 3D. Uh, what is the exact name? Flipnote Studio 3D Director of Moving Animated nope. Images. No, nope. I think that's it. Presents. Pre- yeah, presented by Charles Artist. Martinet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, a couple couple of interesting implications that I took away from that. Um, you know, first of all, I mean, did any of you use um, Flipnote on the DSi? Ever. I had a fat DS the entire time, so okay. I, I, I've wanted to. I was so jealous of everyone that could do it, mm. and uh, so I will finally get my day in the sun. Mm. Zero? Did, no, I never tried it. Yeah, I um, I noodled around with it for a little bit. I made an animation of Kirby sucking up a tomato and getting strong. Anyway, uh, it was kind of fun. But uh, so what I'm thinking from this, uh, it's releasing in the summer. Uh, I'm wondering if they will discontinue swap note and we will finally get the Miiverse functionality on 3ds because that is still supposed to be coming someday right i've kind of forgot that they said that but because i, I would see, see like happening. flip note plus Miiverse would totally render uh swap note obsolete yeah i think um and anyway. maybe maybe you could you know maybe in one of the uh the two updates that's coming to the Wii U is they're going to have like um, functionality to be able to view these movies in Miiverse on your Wii U. Not in 3D, of course, but still, you'd be able to see it. Right. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah, so I don't know. I think if they were really going to do something like that, it's probably something we'd hear about at E3, so I think that would be really nice. I'm officially putting that sort of on my radar, I've, on my list of hopes. For- I've jumped on your hype train. This I don't know how yeah. I feel about that, because I don't want to be let down, but I like that idea a lot. Yeah, really. And I mean, um, that's around the time, too, I think the, at least the website-ish version of Miiverse comes into play, too, so... Oh, is it really? Yeah, so pretty okay. much, maybe they will do a, a strong push in the summer. That'd be neat. Um, but I think it's really smart. I noticed that you can have all these different layers of the 3D. Uh, I think, I'm not sure if they said that there was 10 or around 10, something like that, but... I thought it was 3. Uh, well, I saw, I saw there was like A, B, and C, but then I thought that there were increments. Well, oh, okay, no. Yeah, I think you're right. You can slide almost in slices. So you can't maybe do 10 layers animated, but you can do three, but you can change how far apart they are. Right, 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 right. Um, which I was going to say, I think is very smart because as, as nifty as it is in Swap Note to be able to do the two different layers of dimension, um, you know, there's only so much you can accomplish with that. It's, Usually, it's like you can use it to sort of highlight things, um, but I think you could actually, especially when they're you're able to animate them. I mean, I think you could do some really cool stuff with this, and 
you know, people on uh, Meverse already have, you know, been sharing drawings and it's, you know, become sort of its own uh, feature of the system and its own sort of draw. And I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit for what you could do with Flipnote. Uh, not that the 3DS really needs more reasons for people to pick it up, but I just think I could see that really becoming a focal point of the system. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't know. I'm like you. I'm also very, very excited for this. And now, would you consider yourself much of an artist? You know, it's funny. I absolutely would. However, <laughs> I've noticed that when it comes to like trying to do swap note or just trying to even write clearly on uh, any DS, I'm awful. Like my skills diminish tenfold, and so, like I feel like it's its own skill. Like you need to master the stylus touchscreen. Uh, it's so much different than pen and paper. I right. guess is what I'm getting at. So, um, so but I can do. You know, I'm I am looking forward to doing things that are not impressive looking, but that are just fun. And like sharing those with animating the old snake game on a cell phone. Remember that game? Yes, I did. You could animate that. Yeah, I could probably. Yeah, I could probably do that. <laughs> you know, um, one one thing I have to know though, because this will pretty much affect greatly how much fun I'll have with this. Can you import images like you can with uh, with Colors 3D? Can you import an image and then kind of draw over it to kind of is, like trace or outline? Yeah, that is a good question. I would say I would guess not that at sucks. this point. And I don't think there was anything in the direct that even hinted at that. So I mean, that just sucks. I mean, not that I would draw a bunch, like copy a bunch of things, and then be like, "Oh, look what I did! I'm so good." But it would be <laughs> cool for me to just have that because it, it's my understanding that you can take the first frame, then kind of see that, yep, and then you know, obviously change it slightly. Or what does it do? Right. Let, let you copy it, and then you could probably erase a little bit, change your line to kind of move your character. Um, I don't remember if you can straight up duplicate them. I know that they s- sort of uh, become transparent. You know. You know what? Looking at what I've seen, you probably can because you, it kind of has that hand-drawn look where lines kind of just slowly mumble and jumble because mm-hmm. you obviously can't copy exactly every time. Right, 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 right. So, but I don't know. I just wish you could do a little bit of template action because I, I like it but true so, um I and I, you know they they clearly are not uh worried about their own properties because they i mean they encourage you to use like nintendo characters and stuff oh but, it's kind of like free advertising i think to them yeah 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 so i don't know if, if maybe they're worried about you know if people are using uh you know, copywritten material from other sources if that would be a, an issue i i don't know um mm. But yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll ask Awada personally and get right back to everyone. <laughs> the last really cool thing that stuck out to me was the fact that you can. Uh, it sounds like you can save and export your creations as AVI files, which I think is going to be so great because if you're going to do stuff like this, and if you're going to make it, if you're going to make the point that you want people to share it, then it's you know it's going to be doing yourself a disservice if it can only exist on you know, on your Nintendo devices. Right. And that's what was nice about Colors 3D as well. Mm. You could, uh, you could, I mean, go to, on a computer to your page, other people's pages. You wouldn't see the 3D effect, of course, but you'd still be able to show people. Sure. And actually, there was some art that I did of my, uh, my friend's dog who had passed away. And so for Christmas, is one of the gifts I got her was um, a framed picture of that. So it's a picture she already had, but it was kind of an artistic rendering because I did, you know, kind of a little templating or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I kind of did my own thing a little bit, and um, and she loved it, and and it was cool that I was able to, to take that, put it on my phone, 
on the little uh, micro SD, take that to the CVS or wherever I took it and print it on photo paper, you know. And then... Yeah, absolutely. So the fact that I drew that on Colors 3D is pretty neat. Yeah, that is cool. Um, one last, last thing I want to say is I'm really, really glad that it's free. At yeah. least the, the, the base program itself is free. I was getting worried, uh, you know, because I feel like the more kind of like features that companies add to things, the less likely it is to be free. But something like this, again, if they want it to catch on and be popular and sort of be their own viral marketing, it would have to be free. And I'm so glad they made that decision. Now, of course, there is the uh, the world sharing, right. whatever it is, and that you would have to opt in and pay for. Um, but that's for and, very specific people. Exactly. And I'm really glad that in the direct, they sort of just were up front and said, we have to maintain those servers. So for those who want to do it, there has to be a small fee. And I think for friends, you don't have to do that, right? It's just for nope. the world. Nope. And then exactly. two, anyone who's popular enough gets it for free. So if exactly. you make really good stuff, they're like, okay, then fine. You're free pass, which is kind of neat too. How cool is that? Because basically, because they know you are, again, you're basically advertising for right. them. So it's cool that they kind of reward so you. So like know? Carlos Rocks and Triforce Bun, yeah. they're all going to just have these free accounts all over the world. They should. That'd be very cool. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm glad it's coming. Me too. So, uh, and that's summer. So uh, hopefully it's not mm-hmm. too far away, but spring's in a week. So yep. anyway, well, with that, we'll take a quick break and uh, then we'll come back with Craig. Okay, and we're back from the break, and we have Craig Stern joining us. Hey, Craig. Hello. Welcome. And uh, and so, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you know, he's got a game called Telepath Tactics that he's working on, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about that and uh, a little bit about indie gaming, and and that's just the rest of the podcast. So, uh, so Craig, kind of segueing in from what we were talking about moments ago about the games we've been playing. Uh, what are you playing right now? Uh, well, I run a website called IndieRPGs.com, so, you know, I play uh, games for like 30 or 40 minutes and do first impressions videos, uh, just, you know, mostly indie RPGs, as the name implies. Uh, so I recently got a chance to try out Anodyne and Driftmoon and, uh, you know, just, you know, I, I don't have the time, unfortunately, to like play RPGs to completion anymore because they take hours and hours and I don't have hours and hours because I am developing a game. So actually, most of what I'm doing play-wise is playtesting telepath tactics is really the answer. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, and then really quick, what are your favorite games? What kind of games influence you? Um, 
God, I have so many. Uh, I really, really like Super Smash Brothers. That is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Super Monkey Ball, Ooh, big fan. Good one. Uh, Shining Force, uh, Disgaea 2, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, uh, Planescape Torment, the original Fallout. Like, I don't know. So I have a lot of favorites. <laughs> I must say that's a pretty good list. You know, considering uh, you know you're making a game and people are going to look at the you know the game developer as a reflection of what the game might entail. So you've got quite a few uh, good favorites on on your list. Of of the uh, of the Smash Brothers games, which one is your favorite if you have one? You know, I I'm I'm torn between uh, Melee and Brawl. Brawl has the largest character roster, and that appeals to me. But I don't like the Smash Ball as mm. much as I liked it. Like I feel like Melee is more of just a pure fighter, whereas Brawl is a little more gimmicky. So I think there's an argument to be made for either one. Uh, I I enjoy both of them about equally. I'd say. Who's your favorite character? Uh, in Melee, Link, no question. I completely ruin people as Link in Melee. Uh, in Brawl, he's, I don't know, he's like very heavy. Like they made him artificially heavy, kind of nerfed him a little. I still like playing him, but, uh, I tend to play, uh, Ike more in Brawl. Ike. We have a saying in my house that Ike is cheat codes. Ike is cheat. Probably Young Link, or Toon Link, I think, is he, he was in Brawl. Mm-hmm. So, as far as favorite games, do you have a favorite indie game or two? Like, I know you mentioned a lot, and some of them are mainstream, some of them were less mainstream, but as far as, like, indie-developed games, what, what's kind of on your favorites list? Uh, of the ones I've played through more or less to completion, I'd probably have to say, well, Reketeer, first of all. I don't know if you've heard of Reketeer, but it's this indie RPG where you, like, instead of being, like, the hero, you are the item shop owner. And you sometimes, like, will commission heroes to, like, go down with you to a dungeon to, like, get items. But mostly you're just managing a shop and selling things to adventurers that come in. Hmm, that's fascinating, actually. And it's hilarious. It is so, so well written. Uh, hmm. I love that one. I really, really like Defender's Quest, which is this weird uh, tower defense RPG hybrid by Level Up Labs. That one's really, uh, really enjoyable as well. Um, Caravaneer, I'm a big fan of, and uh, the Spirit Engine too. Those are those are probably my top four, I'd say. Hmm, okay. So then, the main question I think we should start with, though, is what got you into video game development, and how long have you been developing games? Uh, man, I've been developing video games since I guess technically since like seventh grade. My mom made me volunteer at the Cumberland Science Museum back when we lived down in Nashville, Tennessee. And I got really bored and I would just mess around on the Macs that they had in the lab there and they had HyperCard. So I would just make these stupid, stupid little adventure games to amuse myself. And then I like, you know, I just sort of left that behind. I didn't really think about it much until 2006 when it was like the summer before I started law school. I had three months to kill because I just quit my job. I was bored and I knew I wouldn't have time for any creative projects once I got into law school. So I said, all right. I'm going to teach myself to make games. So I sat down with Flash and learned to code and created a short little RPG and just kind of kept going from there. Cool. So how many games like since then have you created? Have you actually made release on? I've released... Well, if you count the... Uh, there are like a couple really short ones that I made in, for like 48-hour game jams. If you count those, uh, seven. Eight if you count the one that I just recently finished collaborating with some people on for an arcade cabinet here in Chicago. 
cool. which I have played. Which which was the one you worked on again on that arcade cabinet? Uh, the one I worked on was called uh, Beer Deathmatch. Beer Deathmatch. That's the one where you're throwing the beers at each other across the, the bar? Yeah, that's the one where there's like there's two players, one on each side of a bar, and there's just all these beer mugs lined up on the bar. The players run to the bar, start chugging beer. As soon as they finish their mugs, they have to throw their mugs at the other player to try to hit them. The mugs just keep bouncing around the outside of the room until it hits someone. And you get, I think, two points for completing uh, a mug of beer, and you lose a point if you get hit by a mug. I'm going to be honest, this kind of sounds like it could just be a really like, fun like college game you could, well, you could play. <laughs> well, the thing that... Sorry, the thing that happened is there's a there's an arcade bar here in Chicago, and it's, it's really popular. It just went up like a year ago, and uh, me and Anand have even gone there. But it's this arcade bar, and they decided... I don't know if it was you guys or the bar or how this was worked out, but they decided to let the Chicago indie developers all work on games that they so there's like eight or nine games or something that are put on this machine that you could play for free in this bar so i i went to the release party for this thing i got to play a bunch of these games and most of them are multiplayer like two player you know against each other or co-op or there's even some like five player and stuff but that's a really cool idea i mean in in the detroit area there's a lot of kind of little film festivals that are kind of the same concept. You know, you get the local indie filmmakers and that kind of thing. I never heard of that, though, for, like, indie gamers uh, to have that kind of release at a bar and have a release party. That's pretty pretty awesome. It was pretty fun. <laughs> Not going to lie. But so, catching us up to the present, you've been working on Telepath Tactics. Yes. and uh, Which, right from the start, is a pretty catchy name, I must say. Oh, thanks. And, uh, and as far as... You know, my experience with those kind of games, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics A2 has always been one of my favorites, so just having tactics in the name makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Um, but tell, tell us what Telepath Tactics is and what platforms it's going to release on, you know, the basic storyline, that kind of thing. Set us up. Sure. So Telepath Tactics is a strategy RPG. As you mentioned, it's kind of in the same lineage as Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, you could also compare it to Fire Emblem or Disgaea. Um, it's sort of my attempt to take all of the best elements of all these different uh, games and just combine them all into one super game. So Telepath Tactics features all of this great stuff that you see in Fire Emblem, for instance, like, uh, you know, there are different types of weapons that do different amounts of damage to different character classes. You have cavalry who can move, attack, and then move again. Um, you know, you've got counterattacks. You've got um, all. You've got like character relationships. You know, it, it's it sort of combines that with some of the cool stuff you see in a game like Disgaea. So you can throw characters. There are environmental hazards. Um, I actually took it a little further than what you see in Disgaea and actually drew some inspiration from Super Smash Brothers. You can, like, shove characters into lava and they'll just start burning. Um, <laughs> you can you can set characters on fire, freeze them, blind them. You can cripple characters, stun characters. You can push characters off of cliffs and they'll take falling damage. Um, you can freeze water and walk over it. You can build bridges. You can build barricades. Um and there's a really uh, pretty aggressive AI that is really good at coming after your weaker characters. It will backstab your characters if it gets the chance. It will fling you into the lava the first chance it gets. It will break down your barricades, destroy your bridges. Uh, it's, it's a pretty intense game. Yeah, sounds like it. And actually, uh, what you mentioned was kind of one of the things that I really picked up from looking at the trailer and reading about it was the whole 
kind of landscape dynamic, the fact that you can mold the landscape to some degree to affect your game and kind of create paths where none were previously, which I, I've never played a tactics-type game that actually had that in it. So I kind of liked uh, that you're taking that and you're kind of enhancing it. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so what made you decide to create a strategy RPG in the first place? I mean, it sounds like you've just been a big fan of it. I mean, is there any other influences besides that? Um, yeah, I've <laughs> I've been a fan of strategy RPGs for a long time. I'd probably even say it's my favorite genre of game, just uh, you know, just as far as single player goes. Um, other influences, yeah. Um, I actually took more influence from Super Smash Brothers than just the environmental hazards. I actually there's a local multiplayer aspect to Telepath Tactics, right? So you can play with up to uh, five of your friends, or you can like team up against a computer AI or whatever you want. Um, so there's local multiplayer, and there are also random item drops that happen in multiplayer. So it pays to like have map control. It's something else I sort of drew from Super Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's funny, like you wouldn't think Super Smash Brothers would be relevant at all to a strategy <laughs> RPG, but there's actually like a lot of really smart uh, design choices in that that translate really well to the genre. Well, it's pretty I cool. That's that, cool. Yeah, it's neat that you picked up on that. You know, I mean, I certainly never considered that. But then again, I'm not in the mindset that you've got to be to do a game like this. To have Smash Brothers DNA in a SRPG, that's like a selling point on its own. Yeah. Now, you know, so that, like, it's funny you mentioned selling points, Joe, because uh, I wanted to ask how hard it is to sell people on a strategy RPG or uh, or to demo something like this, because it's not something you can just kind of watch a video. I mean, you can, you have, you have a pretty great video on your Kickstarter, but uh, which I believe starts tomorrow, right? Yes. Okay. Correct. So by the time people hear this, it'll already be in existence. So go check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. But uh, you know, it's it's not the most you know quick to grasp. Like a platformer Mario game, you you look at a Mario trailer, you just you know what the heck you're expecting. But then again, even if you ignore the fact that there's a whole lineage of games that prove otherwise, but uh, your game sounds so deep and like intricately woven. These ideas and these different strategies and all that these aspects how hard is it to sell that um let's put it this way any game of any genre sort of relies on a past history of games that other people have experienced right there's this sort of game culture that a lot of people take for granted like you say that mario is really easy to pick up and play well kind of but there's this whole cultural assimilation that goes on where people already know it's sort of been passed down how you play platformers Right. It, there's just all these assumptions about how gravity works, how jumping works. Like, you know, if I had never played Mario before, I would have no idea that jumping on enemies hurt them. Right. Like, that's just something we take for granted because we're familiar with it. You so, might walk to the left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there's this I think it's called uh, gaming literacy is what it's called. So uh, to the extent that I want to sell this game, I also have to rely on gaming literacy, which is why I do things like include the name tactics or the word tactics in the title, because Mm -hmm. people sort of pick up on that and they say, oh, I know what kind of game this probably is. You know, so I I say things like, you know, this is in the vein of Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics. And people say, oh, I know exactly what to expect here. And then I can go on and kind of sell them on the uh, on the things that set it apart. So. You know, you mentioned that, because that is a pretty good, in my, in my personal opinion, I mean, uh, a pretty good name as far as kind of from the start kind of telling people what this is about. Now, did you have other names in mind before, or how long did it take just to come up with that? Or- uh, I did I did spend a while trying to think up 
a good name for it. Um, my last game, <laughs> I did a much worse job naming. Uh, my last game was called uh, Telepath RPG Servants of God, which uh, is is thematically yeah. <laughs> relevant. Like it's relevant to the theme of the game because it's about a theocracy. But uh, you know, it's a very long name, and you know, you hear that, and it doesn't immediately tell you what is this game going to be about. Right. I decided that I should go for something much more simpler into much simpler into the point. And, and that is really kind of the way to go. I have a history with filmmaking and writing and such, and the the movie title itself is such a key thing, and I've learned that over the years. So uh, I imagine that, yeah, it was, had to be the same way with you and your games. Can you explain, uh, obviously we understand now the choice of the tactics part, but what? how does the telepath part play into your game? So that that plays into the setting. Uh, this this game has an unusual setting for an RPG of this kind, in that uh, it takes place in a world with no magic, no magic, no dragons, nothing strictly supernatural. I guess there are giant bugs, though. There are giant bugs. Um, so basically, so it's set in the American South. <laughs> <laughs> set in Australia. Yeah, I was just gonna say for Tim. <laughs> yeah, so basically it takes place in this world that's kind of, you know, on the brink of industrialization. So, you know, think like, you know, late Renaissance transitioning into like, you know, maybe 1700s-ish technology level. Okay. Um, no dragons, no elves, no dwarves, no magic, none of this, you know, default, we have to include it because Tolkien did stuff. <laughs> um, instead, it's a world populated by humans and original races. Um, there aren't any, uh, horsemen in this world. Horses don't exist. Instead, you know, you might be someone, you might be like a mantis knight, right? You might like ride a giant praying mantis, or you might ride a giant scorpion, right? There's, there's lots of giant insects that have been domesticated in this world. Okay. Um, and relevant to the telepath part of that, uh, psionics is a thing in this world. So if you are able to use Psy, uh, it said you have the gift, and there's all sorts of different disciplines. Um, telepaths, by and large, are considered the best candidates to lead armies in this world, simply because they have the ability to uh, very quickly pick up on what's happening on the battlefield and make intelligent decisions. Um, there's a particular discipline in telepathy called the sight, which allows you to very quickly uh, scan around a battlefield and see the battlefield through sort of a composited uh, image of everything that everyone on the battlefield is seeing. So you, that, that's sort of uh, the in-game justification for being able to see the entire battlefield from what is effectively a bird's eye view. Right. So it sounds like you've got a lot of backstory into this to kind of justify the context in which your characters and, you know, all this kind of exists. Is there an actual story that's emphasized through perhaps each missions or chapters or that kind of thing, each level? Yeah, I actually just, uh, like a week or two ago, decided to sit down and rewrite it. Um, originally, it was going to be a, uh, a kind of a complicated allegory about campaign finance, and I decided that that was a terrible idea. <laughs> so I scrapped that. Everyone uh, loves campaign finance. They do. They do. Well, it's you know. fascinating. Utterly. <laughs> well, in theory, it could work, right? Like that's the that's the nice thing about art is you can uh, take something that is incredibly dull in real life and find a way to make it interesting. Sure, but, that's true. That's true. But it didn't work because it sort of approached it from a standpoint of 
you know, you, you kind of had to already be familiar with the political workings of the game because there were so many moving parts in the plot. And I realized that that was actually a really bad way to introduce people to the world. Maybe I might, you know, try that again later once people get it. But um, I've decided to instead go for a more more of a focused sort of personal storyline. Uh, the basic setup is that Vibra is a substance. It's it's effectively the a- analog to coal in this world, right? They've discovered the substance called Vibra that they can mine which, when heated, uh, produces energy and can be used to power things through steam. So there is this massive island chain called the Dundar Archipelago, where they've been mining Vibra. Um, And there's this particular race in the world called the Shadowlings. They're just floating heads with smoke coming off the top of them and floating hands, and that's it. They look like cannonballs with faces, basically. And they actually physically gain sustenance off of human suffering right (laughs) humans are their prey and they gain like like they eat by making people miserable basically (laughs) so they were the first to discover the secrets of mining vibra they've established mines throughout this archipelago um and they've been paying off politicians to kind of look the other way while they kidnap natives from the islands to work in the mines so when the game starts off um, there's these sisters that have been sent to work in the Vibra mines. Their father is ill. Um, they're having to make up for his quota. They're having food withheld from them. One of the Shadowlings against type takes pity on them and lets them flee. They get taken in by a tribe of reptilian warriors who raise them as their own, and they train, vowing that one day they're going to rescue their father and take their revenge. Hmm. Now, can you describe the kind of the how it kind of comes together the the story with the gameplay because some developers choose to kind of create a story based around whatever gameplay they've kind of come up with and while other developers tend to create a story and then kind of curb their gameplay around that so do you find that it's kind of a dance or do you definitely want to settle on your gameplay first then move on to a story that fits that or vice versa uh, I find that, well, let's put it this way, um, the mechanics of the game have to be of paramount importance, because if you make a game with kind of a shoddy story, but the mechanics are really fun to engage with, you'll still have a good game, it'll just be a good game with a really lame story, like StarCraft II. <laughs> Whereas, if you create an awesome story, but the actual process of interacting with the game sucks, then why did you make it a game? You should have just written a book. Hmm. Touche. Well, that answers the question. So, I mean, now that having been said, that's not actually uh, that's not actually what happened with Telepath Tactics. Um, I actually started off making Telepath Tactics a multiplayer game, so there wasn't even like the potential for me to put a story in there. It was just like I'm going to make a multiplayer game, and these are the mechanics. And then later, my fans who were used to me making single player games demanded that I include a single player campaign. I said, well, okay. And then I ran a Kickstarter in December, which raised over $18,000, but unfortunately did not make the goal. Um, and over the course of that, I realized people actually, I mean, some of them cared about multiplayer, but mostly they cared about the single player. So I've been focusing increasingly on the story and uh, sort of using the mechanics of the game to my advantage and telling a compelling story. Okay. I have that- a question. Um yeah, because I remember when I played it, because I, I, I don't know if I told you guys this, but I've actually gone over to his apartment. He throws these kind of playtesting parties for the game. Mm-hmm. 
every once in a while. And so I've gotten to actually sit down and play the sort of demo version or unfinished version. And one of the things I did notice is that the, the two stars, as you said, they, they're twin girls. Was that, was that like a, a act of choice to, to make them female? Because that's kind of rare, especially two, two lead females. You might usually, you might have twins that's like one's a male and one's a female or something. Like, were you actively thinking, I'm going to do this for a specific reason? Or was it just, you know, this is, no one really does this, so I'll just stand out, you know? Um, I, I don't know if you're asking if I have like a political agenda or anything. Uh, basically, well, I guess I kind of <laughs> because isn't that a big hot topic in gaming? And there's the whole Anita Sarkeesian thing. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, l- let me put it this way: I didn't start off with a single player game. I started off with multiplayer. In multiplayer, it makes sense to only have one gender for each character class because it, sprite art is expensive. And in multiplayer, there's no story reason to have both a male and a female version of a swordsman, a male and a female version of a spearman, a male and a female version of a bowman, and so on for all of the 22 classes that are in telepath tactics. But uh, now that I'm going to single player, I need all these other assets, and they just haven't been made yet. So the story kind of grew up in large part around what I had, right? I decided kind of arbitrarily that the swordsmen were going to be female. Uh, the swordsman is sort of an iconic hero character in strategy RPGs. So consequently, I started thinking, okay, what kind of stories can I tell with female leads? And I thought it would be interesting to have uh, sisters as the protagonists. It's interesting. So in the time that we have left, I wanted to talk and focus on the Kickstarter itself. Um, so first of all, what made you turn to Kickstarter? Uh, well, as I mentioned, it's pretty difficult and expensive to get good sprite art, and I'm not independently wealthy, so Kickstarter seemed like pretty much the way to go there. And so, uh, how much of the game are you doing yourself versus bringing in any kind of outside help, whether it's for art or music or other assets? Uh, let's see, I started off doing everything myself. And it occurred to me that I probably shouldn't do the art myself because I'm not an artist and people just don't take your game seriously if the art sucks. That's that's just a reality. So I am farming out the art, um, the visual art. There's like a few things I'm doing. It's kind of like placeholder for now, but ideally I want the entire thing to be done uh, by some other people uh, art-wise. Right, you're designing it, you're kind of creating the, you know, the template, but then they're going to, you're hoping someone can finesse it. Right, right. Um, and now I'm working with an outside composer to help me uh, fill in the game's soundtrack uh, by the name of uh, Ryan Richko, and he's doing some really good work. Um, when the Kickstarter launches, you'll be able to hear a couple of the tracks he's produced. Uh, he's pretty talented. You know, I'm excited, actually, because for me personally, music is like half a game. Uh, if the music's bad, then, you know, whether the gameplay is good or whatever, I know you can mute things, but to me that really enhances the experience, especially for a game like this where you're kind of sitting there on the same, you know, map or the same area and you're kind of thinking a lot, you know, mm-hmm. planning things. You want to have music that isn't too repetitive, but also isn't too kind of a, just dull, but uh, yeah. but not too distracting either. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it has been, <laughs> I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that music can get annoying if you repeat it too much, so there are going to be 
a there's going to be a selection of different battle tracks, and they're all going to be like at least two and a half minutes long. Okay. In this game, like I'm not I'm not going to make the mistake of like having annoying music in this game. You know, I've been listening to some you know video game music as as I tend to do, and some of these NES tracks I'm re-listening to now are just like not even 20 seconds long, you know, and they just loop. I I, I don't know how some people played certain games back then. It's uh. <laughs> It's pretty ridiculous. Well, well um, one of my favorite tracks is the the Mega Man X two when X and Zero fight each other. It's like do 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 do, and like that whole track is probably like fifteen seconds long, and it just keeps looping over and over. <laughs> so, so there are some exceptions. You're saying, Andrew? Yeah, but that whole fight's probably only you know five minutes long. It's still kind of long. Probably only like two or three minutes long <laughs> like if 20, you don't screw it up. Twenty loops. If you don't screw it up, but. Um, so, uh, Craig, have you had any hurdles with development? I mean, you said that you did a Kickstarter once, but it didn't really work out. And like, what other things have you kind of had to overcome? Um, I mean, you know, it's just uh, it's just kind of hard uh, doing, you know, being a one man band in general. Um, you well, know. How do you balance that with your life? I mean, what what would you say is the ratio that works for you as far as game and everything else? Uh, how do I balance that with my life? Mm. By having very, very tolerant girlfriends. <laughs> girlfriends? <laughs> Multiple? Well, the past ones weren't as tolerant. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so you're, okay, so you're learning as you go, yes. Well, hopefully, yeah. 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 You know, it's uh, sort of sort of weeding them out <laughs> just by virtue of not having time. Now, have any of these exes turned up as enemies in the game or, or boss <laughs> oh, battles? No. no? Maybe no, they no, should, I- though. I'm not vindictive like that. I actually <laughs> one of one of my exes was uh, was an actress, and she did voice acting in my last game, and actually like sang opera for uh, a couple of the musical tracks. She was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, we're we're not still friends now, but even so, I still wouldn't like, sure. stick her as an enemy in the game. That would be mean. <laughs> You're a better man than I, I guess. Uh, so, how near to completion is this game? Uh you know, it depends. It depends on the Kickstarter. Like, I would say right now, you know, the engine is mostly complete. Like, the AI is mostly complete. Um, the game's mechanics are pretty much finalized. Um, you know, at this point, it's mostly just about adding content to the game. And, you know, how long will that take? How difficult will it be? Well, that really depends on how much money I have available to throw at it. Mm-hmm. Like, because, you know, I can't really make this stuff myself to a, an acceptable level of quality. I've got to hire artists. That requires money. How much money will I have? Well, that depends on what people give. So, you know, it all kind of rides on the Kickstarter. By content, do you mean, uh, like, more levels or just the the pixel art and stuff, you know, visually? Um, the visuals are probably the majority of it. So okay. I still need to get more tile sets. Um, like, I have a few tile sets finished. I have a functioning map editor that I'm using. You know, it's not hard to put together battles, but I'm kind of limited in terms of the environs I can depict because, you know, I still need some more tile sets, still need more destructible objects. Um, I'm sort of limited in terms of the characters I can use because, you know, again, all the classes, there's like one gender. So it's like every single swordsman in the game is going to be a woman unless <laughs> unless I, you know, get some money to hire someone to make uh, male variants. Um 
And, uh, you know, so character portraits need to be added. I need to overhaul the graphic user interface. Right now it's, it's a little uh, placeholder-y, if you will. Um, you know, I need to fill out the soundtrack, as I mentioned. Um, you know, depending on the amount of money that we raise, you know, I could also conceivably hire someone to help me write dialogue, help me branch the campaign, do more interesting stuff, and, you know, just generally fill out the game more than I would be able to do just working on my own. Do you... Like, perhaps this is more of an ideal situation, depending on, again, the Kickstarter, but do you have any ideas or plans for, like, post-game content? Like, you know, you have your core game, but then there could be a few other, uh, you know, battles that you can go into, or maybe some unlockable characters. Unlock Like, just things, secrets to discover. Well, sure, yeah, I definitely want to make at least one expansion after this is out, um, but I don't want to, you know, trap myself by saying when. It might be a little while. Uh, one thing that I don't think I've mentioned maybe as much as I should have is, uh, this game is moddable. So you can go in and create your own tile sets, your own destructible objects, your own character classes, your own attacks. You can go into the map editor and make your own battles. You can actually create entire single player campaigns, and like your is, own custom campaign. This is all within the, you know, say you buy the game, it, you, you get all those tools with it. Yep. Okay. Yep, there's even a dialogue tree editor that is built into the map editor. So it's actually pretty straightforward to create your own campaigns. You can then share them with people, and all they have to do is just stick the campaign in the appropriate folder, and the game will auto-detect it, and then you're up and running playing someone else's campaign. It's really, really uh, designed to be very mod-friendly, and for that reason... I don't think post-release content is going to be a problem as long as there are people out there who want to create their own campaigns. Sure. It sounds like, uh, you know, the sky's the limit, really. It just depends on uh, the creativity of others. We can make the negative world uh, campaign. You could. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It would be all of us versus Stefan and his friends. Steven. Steven, sorry. Steven. Hello, Steven. Not this Steven. Yeah, the user, Steven. Earlier today, I was thinking about one of the battles, and I was thinking, man, you know, this battle would be a lot more tense if there was a sort of, like, long-range attack that sort of pressured the players to move quickly against the enemy. So I said, okay, sounds like I need something like artillery. What can I do? Oh, I know. I already have these bowmen. I will just give them a long-range attack that can hit on diagonals and, you know, maybe give it, like, a base 60% chance to hit, Mm. um, you know, make it so that it doesn't deal backstab damage, and, you know, it took, like, literally a minute and a half to add this new attack to the game. Nice. So, Andrew, you can add Chicago-style. Chicago style attacks. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just win automatically. So the negative world campaign with Chicago style attacks. This uh, yeah. this could be a thing. We'll have to get the whole uh, the whole forums to to back this thing. And oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Can do it. <laughs> okay, so unless there's anything else you want to add about the Kickstarter, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your background with Nintendo. Sure. Yeah. Uh, in this in, in the little bit of time we got left here, so I mean the the basic question is what is your background with you know, Nintendo games. I mean, can you remember your first Nintendo game? I mean, how do you feel about Nintendo versus the rest of the gaming industry? And does that apply to your game creation at all? Hmm. That's a, that's a very multi-pronged question. Well, let me... Uh... <laughs> it's, a, it's a new attack in your game. I, the multi-pronged yeah. question. Multi-pronged <laughs> question. All right, well, I'll start with my history. Uh, basically, I remember when I was a little kid, I was like maybe four years old or something, uh, my dad brought home an NES 
and I don't know why. For some reason, like when I was really little, I was scared to actually play the games. So I would just kind of sit and watch my dad play like Faxanadu or, you know, Zelda. And I was just sort of enraptured. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until a little later I eventually, you know, got over my, my uh, stultifying fear of actually losing at a video game. And, uh, you know, I started to actually play games. And, um, you know, I, I think the time where I really started getting into it was like the SNES Genesis era. Um, I got an SNES first, and I remember it came with Zelda A Link to the Past, which I love that game so much. It is such a good game. To this that, day, I will like sit and replay it. That is one of my all-time favorite games. Easy, yeah. And you know, you say replaying. I think that game for me, anyway, is one of the easiest to replay. Like, no matter how many times I I play it, I can just always go back to it at any point. Yeah, some games don't age well. That one will be a good game forever, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I think I just played it uh, last fall, really, and I enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, the music, the uh, the art assets, the story, the gameplay, it all it all has aged really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry, continue if, if there's anything else. Where'd you, where'd you go from the Sega and uh, Nintendo? Or did you jump to the Dreamcast? Did you go to the N64? Did you go to the PlayStation? So I actually kind of uh, dropped out for a while. I did not get the N64. Um, I didn't get a PlayStation either. I sort of became a PC gamer for a while. Um, I sort of discovered, like, Planescape Torment and Fallout and all those other really awesome Western RPGs you can play on the computer that never uh, made their way to console for whatever reason. Um, and that, that sort of remained my haven for a while. I kind of got back into it uh, around the GameCube era. Um, I picked up a GameCube. I got my hands on Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, which, you know horrifyingly was my first ever fire emblem game i i like had never played fire emblem before that totally missed out on the game boy advanced uh series i play fire emblem path of radiance and i said this is like one of the best games in the universe how have i not played this series before so i've been like kind of going back and uh you know right now i'm sort of in the middle of a stalled playthrough of um the Sacred Stones. I've been I've been doing kind of a Let's Play series, but I keep getting too busy with actually making games to finish it. One of these days, I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so, you know, so what uh, what appeals you about making PC games? Is it just the experience you've had with it, or, or would you ever consider jumping to try to do something on the eShop, on the Nintendo eShop, for instance? I would I would love to put something out on the Nintendo eShop, uh, but the devil's in the details, you know. It's, uh, like, I remember with the Wii, in order to create WiiWare, there was this really ridiculous 50, I think it was like 50 megabyte limit. Like, your game had to be... I think it was be, 40. Was it? Was it 40? I think it was, yeah. Your, your game sure. had to be tiny. You had to, like, be creating, like, an itty-bitty game to even fit on there. Um, and Nintendo still had these really weird outmoded practices like you you couldn't just be an indie game developer working out of your apartment like i do you had to have actual offices and you know you had to show them that you had some way of you know you had to have some like security measures to ensure that no one would go in and steal the developer kit and it was just very i mean like you know i'm I'm sure nintendo had their reasons for it but you know, for an indie developer like me, that's kind of onerous. You know, that's a, that's a pretty tough requirement to uh, to meet before you're even profitable. 
So, you know, at, at that time, I was like, you know, that, that's cool that some indies are managing to make that work, but uh, that's probably not for me. With this generation, I understand Nintendo's been making much more of an effort to reach out to indies, and, uh, you know, I haven't looked into it too much yet. Um, I'm still kind of focusing on getting Telepath Tactics out, but I would love to get it out, you know, for the Wii U or, you know, maybe for the 3DS um, as a port later on once the game has been uh, released. Can you think of, I mean, not that you'd necessarily sit, sat down and thought about this, but can you think of any, you know, maybe unique ways that the tablet uh, touchscreen on the Wii U controller or the 3DS could, you know, enhance the game? Or Oh, or oh yeah, totally, it? totally. Yeah, actually, local multiplayer, I think, would be way, way better on a Wii U because, you know, if you have Fog of War turned on, uh, suddenly you have a way for one player to see the map and the others not to. Mm-hmm. So that asymmetric gameplay you really think would be a great fit with Telepath Tactics. Yeah, actually, I do. Yeah, and that Plus seems anything to anything be... with a stylus for any sort of, like, you know, grid-based SRPG, that's, like, perfect, right? Because recreates the whole mouse-clicking thing instantaneously. Yeah, actually, that is that is true. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to do a mobile port of uh, Telepath Tactics at some point, and I imagine that whatever method I use adapting the mouse controls... Um, would probably also be applicable to a 3DS. Mm-hmm. Now, when you if you were to do mobile, would you stick with iPhone because of its kind of homogenous nature, or would you go to Android, which can be you know kind of a lot more broad? Have you looked into that? Because um, yeah, I there are a lot of things about Apple that really rub me the wrong way. But my understanding of the mobile market is that if you want to make any money at all releasing a game for mobile, you just have to release it for iOS, period. Like, uh, I, I would like to also support Android just because I prefer Android, but, you know, you, you right. can't ignore iOS. So it you... wouldn't be an either-or, it would be an iPhone and perhaps Android. Right. Which kind of makes sense. I just It, it bums me out. For instance, there's a, uh, a board game called Ticket to Ride. I don't know if you've ever played it or heard of it. Oh, yeah, and, I love it. Yeah. yeah, so it's an incredible game, and I... I, I have an Android phone. I have an iMac, and I love my Mac, but I have an Android phone, and I love that. And I would never want an iPhone. Um, but it's a bummer, because I've, I've read some interviews with the, the company that makes that game, and they've said that they won't, they just flat out aren't going to port their really excellent iPhone app to the Android, because they just don't want to take the time to, to deal with it. Because, you know, my screen's definitely got, you know, it's bigger, it's got a different aspect ratio than an iPhone, or than even another Android phone, and that apparently just something they're not interested in, which is... I know there's a lot of work involved, and I mean you know better than any of us, but uh, it's just kind of disappointing to hear that. A little disheartening. Yeah, the yeah, there's kind of like a double whammy going on with the Android market. You've got the segmentation going on with the, all the different devices that have all these different hardware requirements and different aspect ratios and screen sizes, and that's a huge pain in the butt that massively increases the time and money required to port a game to Android. And on the tail end of it, you have a marketplace where people just don't make that much money. Right. It, it's 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 just not, like when you combine those two things, it makes it very unattractive to a lot of developers. Well, uh, we're kind of running out of time here. So, is there anything else you want to say about your Kickstarter or your game or anything else in general? Uh, yeah, Telepath Tactics is going to be totally sweet, but it can only be totally sweet if we get the funds to actually finish the game in a polished way. So, you should back it. <laughs> and so the the uh, the Kickstarter starts tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And how long will it be around for? 
Um, I believe I have it set to run just a little over 30 days, and uh, that is just because I don't want it to end on April 15th. I want to like give people like a little bit of time to get their uh, their tax refunds. You know? <laughs> and put them to case. good use, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. Uh, Andrew, Joe, you guys have anything else you want to say? I have no last comment. No um, last comment, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess one thing that maybe people don't understand is Craig, he's not someone I've known for a while or anything. I actually met him at a, uh event that was going on at my old university, DePaul, where indie developers were showing off their games. So I was walking around and I was just looking at all these different games and like his actually stood out to me is like one of the more polished and one of, well, I love strategy RPGs too. So just the genre. So it's less like, here's some friend of mine who uh, I'm, we're trying to sell his game. It's more like his game was the first thing that attracted me. And then I went over and then I started talking to him and, you know, he told me all about how he, he loves fire on him and all this stuff. And so that's what really appealed to me about it. And then I, I've got a good chance to sit down with it a bunch of times since you know, that day I played some and I've gone to his, uh, his meetings. I even have on my laptop, like, uh, it's, it's an old, old version now, I'm, I'm sure, but the version from the last, the last playtest meeting and it's pretty polished. Like, I am very impressed that one person can sit here and make a game like this. It's not like some, not to put down other, other indie people. Anyone who's doing this deserves some respect for getting out and doing it, but some people, they have a little game that it's kind of thrown together or whatever. It works. It's, it's fun, but it's nothing big. But this is like a, this almost to me could be like a, a big production from like a, not like Nintendo or something, but like a, a, a developer with a, a whole team behind it, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. No, my goal is to make this, uh, comparable in quality to the Game Boy Advanced, uh, Fire Emblem game. So like really nice sprite art, really smooth character animations. I, I don't want it to be immediately obvious that it's a one-man indie that put this together. The fact that there's all those uh, creation tools and editing and stuff like that, I, I can't even imagine that kind of an undertaking. You know, like, it'd be hard enough to make a game, but then to be able to address the sort of meta aspect of letting other people play around and create that game, like, that's, wow. I can't, <laughs> believe, I can't believe you're a one-man operation in that regard. Well, you know, it actually helps me, too, because I get to use the tools I create to actually make the game. It makes it easier for me. Uh, mm, Would you consider using these tools again for another game, or do you kind of, like, enjoy making a game, make, you know, doing these kind of things, and then just kind of moving on to a brand new, you know, concept? Um, I have I have all kinds of ideas for other games I want to make, but a lot of them I can probably build on the engine that I've already created for Telepath Tactics with some success, I think. So, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see, but I don't think I'm going to just abandon the game after it's released. Like, I'm definitely going to keep using the engine. I definitely want to make at least one expansion for it, and, uh, you know, hopefully it has a modding community that keeps it vibrant and relevant for years to come. Sure. Well, we hope the same. And uh, and with that, I guess we'll close out the podcast for today. Um, we'd really like you to comment on what you've heard at negativeworld.org, or you can simply find the thread associated to this episode. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe to Negative World, you can reach us through the Facebook page. Just simply search for negativeworld.org. And you can also find us on Twitter at negative underscore world. Um, don't forget that there's also an enhanced podcast that we do. So it's the same content, just with some chapters and art and everything for you. 
thank you very much, Craig, for for stopping by and, yes, and letting us you pick your much. brain about this game and and just developing in general. It's been great. Yeah, thank you guys. And we we will have the link to the Kickstarter in the thread associated with this episode. Yeah, and I wouldn't doubt if if we post about it even before that because this episode will you know be a few days from getting to, getting out there. So. Um, so again, thank you, Craig. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, you know, we'll see you next time. Bye. Right. Bye. Now I should put my pants on. (laughs) Uh, Uh. Yeah, that... (laughs)